It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. USA from the the scenic, the beautiful, the historic Newcastle in Australia. We've got Nicole Halton from Inspired EC. How you doing, Nicole? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, but we're not going to talk about that. We've got to nope. get right into our episode topic because you know last week we chatted and we we did a whole episode of chat we never got to the topic so uh which was i mean delightful for me because anytime i get to chat with you is a good day um oh um so i get <laughs> I, I we got we got we got to talk about some loris malaguzzi um i i put together for the play evolution hq site it's not going to be linked to in the episode um because uh the thing i put together isn't going to get posted till like i don't know february or march or sometime i'm i'm getting way ahead of myself and 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 being productive but uh you can find it it's the uh the this will be a nice little teaser yeah yeah you can i mean there's a search function on the playvolution hq website there's a, a, a it's called the seven and seven important loris loris malaguzzi theories except it's just loris malaguzzi theories it's not Lor, 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 loris like i just said so <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out um so so malaguzzi he he, he was the Look, he's the mind and the theorist and the the heavy hitter behind the Reggio Emilia approach to early learning. And well, my understanding is you can't be a Reggio program outside that little corner of of the Italian countryside. Um, Correct. You you can take some of those theories and ideas and import them and shape them to fit into wherever you happen to be doing your early learning. So I thought it might be fun and useful to to look at some of these theories and and look these are put together from my my best understanding. Um, if 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 they're shit, Nicole's going to tell me, and then I'll I'll <laughs> fix that I'll fix the handout before it gets posted on the HQ site. But I think I think we got something pretty accurate here. Um, um, so where do you want to jump in, Nicole? We go from the bottom of the list or we just pick things randomly or should we go? I, I didn't put them in any particular order, so it doesn't matter how we how we tackle them. What do you want to? Okay, wanna... no, let's start with the top one. Okay, so the, one of the first ideas he has, and I mean, I don't know if any of these are 100% unique to him, um, but I guess that's something we can discuss. So one is that children are innately curious and compelled to explore and make sense of the world, that they are active and capable learners. 
Um, probably not 100% yeah. unique to him, huh? But kind of a... I don't think, yeah, I don't think it is 100% unique. I think, and look, to be fair, most things aren't 100% <laughs> unique, you know? Like everybody begs, borrows and steals from elsewhere, you know? And I think that's that's probably always been one of my biggest bugbears, like you said before about, you know, you can't be a Reggio Emilia service outside of Italy. Um, and that has irritated me. And it's the same with, you know, even Montessori. And it's the same with um, like all sorts of approaches. I think you can't just transport, you need to take bits and pieces. And so I think even these things that are, you know, recognized as key features of, you know, the Reggio Emilia approach and are very Malaguzzi inspired and, you know, that kind of understanding, I think it's still you can see threads of other things within that. So I don't think that idea of children being innately curious and compelled to explore and make sense of their world is particularly unique. I think it's just summed up well and it's emphasized. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so, you know, the approach a lot of people will use is they'll take these bits and pieces and they'll put their own their own spin on on them, their own it'll, yeah. they'll, they'll add their own their own seasoning, their own spices. Um it's kind of like, you know, when Tasha and I've been doing this uh, dance a day um every day for 540 some days now and and so I'm I'm becoming a real music connoisseur I'm I, I'm not really but I found a couple songs that I like and then I go find as many versions of that song as I can oh, possibly find and, I like doing that and and so that that's kind of the same idea it's it's they're they're all basically the same idea but each one has its own own spin yeah. on it. So that's that's kind of kind of what this is. So um, yes, children are innately curious and compelled to explore and make sense of the world. Um, I think that that fits very well into into Gray's uh, conditions of play. Um, yeah. I think it's it, it's just something that if you're a play based early learning person, it's just one of those things that you that you take for granted. Um, kids are the curiosity to. That concept of curiosity sort of fits in with, you know, schema theory as well, like yeah. that, you know, that exploration through like, what is this? You know, what is this thing? What does it do? How does it move? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? What what happens if I drop it on the floor? Like those sorts of, you know, cause and effect. And, you know, that all fits in really well with that that concept of children being curious. Yeah, and 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 so we build we build programs that that build on on that theory on that uh, and yeah. and you know at this point I would I would probably call that more than a more than a theory I, I would probably move that up to kind of proven fact that, yeah. that kids are kids yes. are curious and compelled to explore and make sense of the world um, so maybe these are are Laura's Malaguzzi facts um, <laughs> just fact you know, fact yeah. it is fact. don't Period. argue it and I think like the you know active and capable learners thing you know like that's that's such a mindset thing you mm-hmm. know like there there are so many people who believe that children are capable learners or, but then there's also people who say they believe that children are capable learners, and there's a really big difference in what that practice looks like with the children who, uh, the people who believe it and actually do that and work in a way that respects children as capable learners, and the children who say 
we believe that children are capable learners or the educators, sorry, who say we believe that children are capable learners that then do everything for them and give them stencils and worksheets and, you know, things that they have to fill in and, you know, whatever, yeah. because we don't think you can do that yourself. You know, oh, let me cut that for you and let me do that. And, you know, you'll do it wrong. I'll do it this way. And yet they'll still say, oh, we think children are capable, but yeah, yeah. practice yeah. doesn't always match. Yeah, if I mean, if you're if if you if you say in your in your parent handbook or your your pamphlet that uh, that you think uh, kids need to be active, that they're active learners, and they spend most of their time sitting down, um, yeah. then you're you're not really you're not really walking the walk for what you what you're no. saying you believe. Oh, we got to move on. There's going to be a three-hour episode. Um, <laughs> next one is that that children learn best through hands-on and experiential activities that are personally meaningful, relevant, and interesting. Um, yes. So kids are they're they're wired to touch. They're wired to have experiences, and they and and for for things to be of value to them, they need to be personally meaningful, relevant, and and interesting. And and so way too much of the early learning world fails to to meet this standard because the uh, kids are having stuff dumped on them that they they find in no way meaningful, relevant, or at all interesting. And yeah. they are just trying to suffer through it. And it's funny because I actually remember um, when I was working in a service, we had um, a curriculum approach here that was called an emergent curriculum. And it was all about, you know, interest-based learning, following children's interests. So, you know, the the concept was that you saw what the children was interested were interested in and then you provided, you know, experiences and materials and, you know, you did projects with them and what and it was all great, except that some people took that too literally and thought that they had to actually wait for the children to have an interest. I still think that you can expose children to things that they don't yet know that they're interested in. So there's that balance between only giving children things that they have expressed an interest in. So, you know, little Sally comes in absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs and so we just start doing everything dinosaurs. That's all well and good, but Sally doesn't also know that, you know, she's really fascinated by whales because she's actually never you know seen a whale before and doesn't have a concept of that and you know like so I think there's that that balancing act of giving children things that are relevant and that they're interested in already but also giving them things that spark that sense of wonder and that curiosity that we talked about before things that they might never have been exposed to either yeah yeah and and the whole idea there I I mean my approach would be to to bring those things into the environment in a way that they're not forced on the kids, that the kids are, yeah. are able to bump into them. Um, yes. Which is why, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love loose parts is because loose parts um, allow you to, to help kids bump into different ideas and concepts and, and materials without, well, well, they still have the, the power of, of whether they choose to engage with it or not. If you, exactly. if you, you sit yep. every, you sit everybody down to talk about whales and, and, and half three, of them are not interested. Yeah. Three quarters of yeah. them have no fucks to give about whales. Yeah. Um, you're wasting, you're wasting their time. So it's, yeah. but, when, but it's something that's interesting that ends up being interesting to, to that group. You can, you can, they can grab hold of it. Um, next one we got here is that children's learning is, is enhanced by social engagement collaborative small uh, collaborative uh small groups where they can share thoughts theories and ideas for 
example. So kids like to, um, we're, I mean, basically we're social creatures. We are typically social creatures, yet we also need to have respect for the children who don't want to be social creatures. There are some children who would prefer to, you know, like if you consider children who are working on like an artwork or something. And, you know, I've seen some examples from Reggio Amelia and from services who are inspired by that. And you see these amazing collaborative art projects and, mm-hmm. you know, like these real experiences. But there's always a child who's like, screw that. I want to do my own thing. Like, don't look at my artwork. And I'm, you know, like they've got their own vision for it. They've got their own, you know, they know what materials they want, whatever. So it's about, for me, it's that respect for the social engagement. So we recognize that for most children and for adults, that we learn best when we can engage with others because you feed off other ideas, you build that knowledge. It's kind of that scaffolding that, you know, Vygotsky talks about, you know, you, you're kind of doing that, but then you've also got that respect for children to have choice again, you know, whether they want to do that or not. Yeah. I mean, some, <laughs> some kids and adults, the way they participate is, is by, by being an observer, by being the audience. Yeah. Um, it, it's the, the people, the people who want to get up and be the center of attention um, need audiences. And some, some people are just happy to be that audience because that's, that's their temperament. That's their choice. And, and so creating early learning environments where we allow kids to engage socially where their temperament and experience and feelings in the moment lead them is probably the the best approach. Now, um, I would I would guess that there might be times where where you have social red flags that that pop up, your your spidey sense starts tingling, and you you worry there might be a a developmental issue there in some situations. But you know that's part of our job too, is being being able to to kind of notice those things when they might be happening yeah. and, and call in the call in the experts for support. Um, yeah, you know the collaborative stuff, the small group stuff. The uh, I mean, some kids are totally into that, and some kids are into that on Tuesday mornings, and and some kids it's <laughs> it's, it. it's totally yeah. not it's totally not their thing. <laughs> I think it's Um, about the respect. It's about the respect for children's ideas, though, too. That for me is a big part of that. It's that that the educators or the adults in the space actually have respect for the fact that multiple children will have ideas on how different things could work or could happen, and so they create that space where those sorts of experiences are facilitated really well. So that's what that kind of means for me, I suppose. Yeah, and, and and those collaborative small group things, um, they they have a way of 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 allowing people. You know, kids are when when given the opportunity, they're they're pretty good at sorting themselves out, so that yeah. that um, they all take on the roles that they're 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 most ready for at the moment. I mean, I've I've been forced into. You ever go to like a a training or something? They come up with a small mm. group activity, and no. And Somebody's got to do the stuff, but then you know, there's there's always the opportunity to be the the note taker. Um, I'm the note taker. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, See, I, I would I would never be the note taker because I can't write and listen to myself talk at the same time. So that would, <laughs> that would be almost impossible for me. Um, and nobody be able to read the notes. But there's 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 usually even in, in a small group of four or five adults, there's somebody who is really happy to be the note taker because that means maybe they don't have to talk so much. So then you got the 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 person. Um, if if I mean if you're in a group with me, um, we're gonna have to fight over the position if this is who you want to be. But the person who uh, who who feels that they need to need to do all the yammering and often as the devil's advocate um taking the the contrary position and 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 people just kind of fall into that um because we're we're diverse wonderfully interesting creatures i guess right yeah absolutely sure, sure. um <laughs> next on this list we've got Children benefit from learning environments that are stimulating, welcoming, aesthetically pleasing, and reflect the interests, uh, th their interests and culture. Um, so. I got a lot on this one. Okay, so I'll try to be succinct. Um, so my biggest issue, I love this concept of learning environments being, you know, aesthetically pleasing and stimulating and all those sorts of things. I feel like this concept's been hijacked and it's been hijacked by people who have wanted to make learning environments Instagram worthy and prior to that Pinterest worthy and it all it became about the appearance only of the environment and I think there's been that it's been probably one of the only well it's a butchering it's the butchering of something that was intended like I mean you look at the environments and you know I've seen some beautiful examples of environments in Reggio Emilia and they're beautiful, but they're also like there's lots of stuff going on and you can tell that the children have got like works in progress over here and there's like there's evidence that children are there. Whereas you look at a lot of environments that people share online now and they'll share their early childhood environments and there's no evidence that children play there. There's no evidence that anyone made a mess there. It's very adult designed and adult um <clears throat> like an adult vision and I just think that frustrates me because the very concept of this is spot on we should have environments that are beautiful that we actually give some thought to we don't want to just dump a whole bunch of broken furniture and you know stuff that's just random and mismatched and like the children don't deserve any better but then by on the flip side we want it to be a place where they feel comfortable to play and to make a mess and to interact and to you know, I had their curiosity challenged on all of those sorts of things. So I just think people need to read that one with an open mind as to what that actually means for children. They, yes, they do need to be aesthetically pleasing, but aesthetically pleasing to who and for what purpose. So you're saying that not, was a brand. To, not to, not, not, not necessarily aesthetically pleasing to your Instagram followers. Yes, they can all bugger off. Like, really, it's not about that. You know, like, it's about, I can remember I used to um, bring families into our service when I was a director and I'd bring them in for a tour. And one of the first things I would say before we walked into the room or out into the outdoor space was, you're going to see a lot of mess. We put a lot of effort into our environments and, you know, they were beautiful. We had beautiful things in our environment. We, you know, put effort into the way we documented learning and we, you know, like there was a real lot of thought put into it. 
but children also play here. And so the Play-Doh isn't necessarily at the Play-Doh table. It's over in the home corner because that's where they've taken it today. And yes, there are blocks that spread from one end of the room to the other because they're making a road and that might be there for four days. And unfortunately, the cleaner is going to have to work around that. And our outdoor space has chickens roaming around and that's not necessarily aesthetically pleasing, but it's about the children. And, you know, I think it's it's that finding that balance between yes it does need to be stimulating and aesthetically pleasing and but for who yeah for yeah who? uh the that that um that look <laughs> that children actually exist in this space i call yeah. that the, the patina of play it's that yeah. it's that kind of rough around the edges kind of this material this this equipment has been used kind of look to things hmm. um things are scuffed up and and a little bit messy that doesn't mean you never clean but it it means that that you can tell that that activity goes on in this kind of spaces if i walk into a space yeah. where where everything is pristine it it really it, it sends up a red flag for me because me too. I, I i i wonder how much activity is going on in the space and how much yep. child directed activity and the aesthetically pleasing is is for for the kids um it should be aesthetically pleasing to the little humans using the space and so even you know you, look you talk about instagram if you go on it's it, it, i look i don't go on the social media <laughs> But uh, Pinterest, Instagram, whatever you're using, you you find I, I do do image searches, though. And so a lot of this stuff will turn up and you find that that classroom that uh, the dramatic play area has been transformed into a flower shop. And yeah. all the signage is hand lettered by adults or done on computer and laminated and it's all perfect. And and mm -hmm. that's it's fucking bullshit because those yeah. spaces are should be because they reflect the children and their interests those spaces should be created by the children and so the kids Absolutely. should be the ones creating those signs and 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 yeah maybe some letters are going to be backwards and there's going to be there's going to be stuff that's written and then crossed out and then rewritten and it's going to it's going to be just perfect that way. i find that so much more appealing like yeah. to look at I love that stuff where you can actually see, hey, this has got children's mark on it. Like this is, uh -huh. you know, it's like the stamp of a child. Yeah. And so my question to you, Nicole, is are we the assholes for for thinking that way? Because you most, and I or yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. assholes that um I mean, not, not for that not for that reason. <laughs> not for that reason. No, I just think it's look, there's plenty of people who do think that same way, but I just think we've come we've said it before and you know like I think it comes back to that I need to be seen as though I'm the teacher and I'm doing things and I'm yeah. creating this thing it's about me it's not actually about the children and so it's I don't always think it comes from a negative place like I don't think people sit at home and think you know what would really screw those kids over if I come in and set up a flower shop and made it really you know <laughs> over the top like it's not from a negative place, but it's from a place of wanting to prove themselves. So it's like, yeah, yeah. A, a I, I think it's always it's always done with good intention. Yeah. Um, but but I no, I guess it, it's 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 always overdone <laughs> with good intention. Yes. I guess it's done the, with perceived good intention. Yeah, yeah. And and the other point I want to make on that is is re referring to the culture. Um, if if you go in and set the dramatic play area up as the farmer's market or a flower shop, 
and only one of the eight kids in your classroom has ever been to a fucking flower shop. Um, that's not going <laughs> like, to be culturally what is this? relevant. Yeah, it's not going to be called culturally re- yeah. relevant to them. And so uh, I think a lot of times we we jump the gun on those kind of things um, because we have this idealistic idea of what families cultures should be what we think they should be like yeah. instead of what they are like and so we we make those assumptions and kind of mess up spaces that way too yeah which is, agreed which is, which is why we should really i mean the way you should approach those things is lots of open space lots of cardboard boxes and tape yes. and let the kids build it very yeah. aesthetically pleasing so moving on children thrive <laughs> when supportive respectful and encouraging teachers facilitate their efforts at constructing meaning and understanding the world Um, i mean i feel like this is just goddamn common sense like that (laughs) you know like everybody thrives when you feel supported and respected like you know if i i don't know a person who wouldn't thrive in that situation and likewise i mean there's some people who will still do go on and do their best even if they don't have that but you know, for most children, if they don't have people who are supportive and respectful, you see how that affects them really quickly. So, you know, I I think I feel like that one's just so common sense. It, well, it's not, but it should be. Um, so I, I, I read that one, and my I, I start tensing up because I think about supportive and respectful and encouraging teachers. And that makes me feel like they would be way too much up in my business and paying too much attention to me. (laughs) So I think we need to be really thoughtful about how we're being supportive and respectful and encouraging. And And sometimes being supportive and respectful is backing the fuck up and getting out of the way they're playing. Like that is supporting and respecting because I'm respecting that you've got your own stuff going on. You don't actually need me, Um, but I'm supporting you because I'm here. If you actually need things for what you're doing, you'll come to me and you know that I will get the things that you need because I've shown you that over and over again. So there's that that layer of supportive. But I get what you're saying because you get those, you know, supportive and over-encouraging, like where you're right in there wanting to take over everything almost. You're all, you're all up in everybody's grill with the, uh, the sing-songy teacher voice. Yeah. Up, up in everybody's grill. Is that, thing, is that something that people still and, say? Yes. My husband says it to the dog. Um, uh-huh. when the dog comes right up into his face in bed, like uh, he will come and lay right at the edge of the bed sure. and, put his and he's like, get out of my grill. So yeah, uh-huh. it's definitely a thing. Okay. Um, because your, your husband is, is he the, the hippest guy. Cool of cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows, he knows what's hip. Um, but yeah, I think <laughs> what were we even saying about being up in their grill? Um, I had a thought. I've lost it now because we talked about whether my husband was cool or not. Um, <laughs> and then you no. laughed. It's at gone. The idea, yeah, that's a very idea. Um, idea. So, 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 I mean, we need to be there before there, be there for them at the in the way that they need us to be there yes. for them, and that that <laughs> really means that we we focus a lot on those relationships, and and I think that that kind of implies we're taking care of the lower level Maslow stuff um as yes. as well too making yeah. sure everybody's everybody's tummies are full and they're well rested and and uh they get to pee when they want to or need to and and you know all that really important and i think even stuff. the facilitating their efforts at constructing meaning and understanding the world a lot of that's just the listening and not mm-hmm. correcting children and not saying oh no that's not why you know the 
grass is green. That's not why. I'll yeah. show you why and I'll go and get the book and, you know, tell you all about it or we'll Google it. Um, it's about listening to what they have to say about the world and, you know, not always shutting it down, but letting them have time to think about whether that, you know, I think often it's, I, I know we talked about it a while ago about um, questions that children ask and whatever. It's not always giving them the answer, but just being there to be part of that process as they try to make sense of whatever it happens to be within their world. Yeah. Facilitating their efforts is something as simple as, as when the stapler runs out of staples, um, having the the backup staples right there and getting the stapler filled so they can get back to their stapling um, yeah. instead of waiting a day and a half for the staple to get filled up or for the for for some new green paint to be added to the green paint pot or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Part of part of the facilitating we do is just making sure the materials are there, are the, there. the consumables the consumables that are consumed <laughs> are resupplied. So Correct. next year we oh yeah next year we've got children's relationships with their families and communities play an important role in their development and should become part of the curriculum. Um, so that's like Rumpf and Brenner, <laughs> isn't it? It's ecological yeah. systems theory. It's that idea that you know at the center you have the child and then you've got kind of all those layers upon layers and you know those those really key layers in close is family and community yeah and 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 way too often programs seem to separate family and community from what's going on in the classroom i think it happens more in 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 formal school settings than it does maybe in early learning. But I think yeah. a, a lot of early learning programs do this as well, where we're, we're set off and apart from, from families and communities. And that's kind of. And I think we saw that. Uh, I know we did here in Australia and I'm going to guess probably to the same extent, if not more um, in the U S like during COVID times, I hate talking about it, but during those times of like lockdowns and whatever we had, um, you know, childcare was still running and, mm -hmm. you know, there were people who still needed their children in care, but they had to drop them off outside and, you know, like do this exchange. The families weren't allowed in the service. And there's some services that have, you know, only just in the last, you know, six to 12 months started letting families back in. And so for like two years, some, some families had never been inside the children's services where these children were spending all of their days because of the health concerns. And I get that, but I also worry about what damage has been done to those family relationships and, you know, that, that, that important time that you have to spend, you know, actually making sense of the child as a part of a family rather yeah. than just as their own entity. Yes, they are their own entity, but we're never ever fully our own entity. We're our own entity as part of others. And so if you don't see the child within that family structure or you don't see the child within a community, then how do you ever know that relationship and how do you ever understand that and support it as best as you can? Yeah. What do you think about programs that do like home visits? I love that concept. I I know it's quite common in um, the UK where they do um, primary caregiving model and uh, they particularly do it with their younger children. Um, I, I, I think it still happens with older children, but I know with the infants and toddlers, it's quite common because um, they use that primary caregiving model and it's very much about going in 
and seeing the child in their space, you know, meeting them in their space and actually, you know, getting a feel for who they are. And I think it's important for the child. The child develops a, a sense of you're okay, you're an okay person, you're here and you're in my space and there's that mm-hmm. that crossover between the two spaces. I think it's something, um, Tash and I have talked about it before, that we'd love to see happen here. It doesn't ever um, but it would be really nice to see. I think there's some real value in that. The same as community interaction. Like there's, um, I can remember when we were in a service and, um, you know, this is going back a long time now, but we started taking our children out into the community for, you know, bushwalks and, you know, we'd go across to the shops, we'd go across to the bakery or the post office, or, you know, if we needed pegs, we'd go across to the supermarket and we'd take a group of children with us. And it wasn't this big formal excursion with a list of things that we had to achieve. And, you know, we didn't have to have a real outcome. It was just about being present in the community and, Mm -hmm. you know, the children having that opportunity. Because I think for a lot of children, they, um, particularly children who are in care full-time, they don't get those opportunities to be part of the community. And I think it's important. There you go. I really went on a tangent then, but I, I, yeah, I, I like the goal. I like, you know, pop into the shop with the kids. I, I like that though. The home visit thing. I'm, I'm of split mind about that because I, I, I totally agree with the benefits that, that you went through there, but I also wonder how many of those program staff people that are doing those home visits would be cool with the kids and their family showing up at their house. Well, that's true too. And, and I think there is an element of that where, Maybe it's more about meeting the child and family on neutral territory, like meeting at a park or something for the first time. Like, I don't know. I like, I think the concept for me, it's not about being in the house. It's about being Uh, away from the service context and, you know, like just having that more focused one-to-one kind of time to to get to know the child, particularly for infants and toddlers, you know, and when they're coming into care, I think that's so important because mm-hmm. we know it's a hard age for a lot of children to transition into care. So I think it's it's less about the house because I think you're right. That's a really valid point. I wouldn't want anyone coming to my house. Um, so, and, and for a lot of families, they may feel, you know, nervous or judged or, you know, like there might be all sorts of issues that might arise. And, and rightfully so, so because they're totally being, being judged. Oh, they're totally I- being judged. No, I've worked with people in programs <clears throat> that did home visiting for their programs. And these were programs that were working with, uh, with, I mean, basically low income families at risk kids and, yeah. and they did nothing but talk but shit Dutch. about yeah. people's living situations. And yeah. no, you should have seen those, how messy that house was. Oh, yeah. And if, and, if yeah. any of those families would have showed up at those, those caregivers homes, um, I, I, I'm not sure they would have got in the door, but, and so yeah. I think there's this, there's a hierarchical thing that goes on there too, mm. that I'm not, yeah, I'm not really, really comfortable, I'm not really comfortable with, but, um, yeah. Uh, that's probably a different episode. Um, last one we got here on this list is children's explorations and learning should be documented, celebrated, and used to inform and enhance future learning and teaching. Um, I, I think over over in Oz, there's a lot more thoughtful documentation going on, at least in the in the programs that you were kind enough to expose me to. I'm sure <laughs> I'm one. sure it's not I'm sure there's a lot of shitty programs where it's not happening at. No but, doubt. 
Now, one of the things one of the things I loved about seeing seeing in the programs that Inspired EC works with was the the thoughtful, intentional documentation that was going on and uh, and the observation that's part of it. It's that concept of, you know, that terminology of making learning visible. And, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> whenever I do training with services around documentation, like so many people get caught up in, you know, what I need to say and, you know, how I need to link it to this framework and this regulation. And, you know, like they get really worried about like all of the details. And for me, it's what's what's your purpose for starters? Like what is the purpose? And here it says, you know, it's used to inform and also to enhance future learning and teaching. Okay. So for me, that means we're informing, we're often informing families, you know, this is what we've been doing. But to enhance future learning and teaching, it means it's also for the educators. You know, it's something that they can go back to and that's going to, you know, encourage them to think about what do we do next? Where do we go from here? But also for the children, that the children can revisit it. And one of my biggest bugbears is that people document children's learning, whether it's respectfully and beautifully and whatever or not, but they put it, you know, six feet off the ground where the children can't ever see it. And it's like we want children to engage with you know these experiences and to revisit and to be inspired by you know things other children have done then we need it to be at a height where children can actually engage or to be you know in a book um when Tash and I were working together we had these big um we called them project books and they were big black folders and inside the folders we had these um big white sheets of paper that had a black border around them and all of our like photos and documentation, the mind maps we did with children, the discussions, all the things they told us about particular things when we're working on a project all went in this book. And those books became part of our book space, you know, and the children could actually go and pick them up and flick through them at any time. And so there's that that enhancing of future learning, but there's also that revisiting and whatever. But I think we've kind of, I feel like it goes one way or the other with a lot of people. They either don't document anything or they do it in a really, you know, Sally and Johnny played in the sandpit. They made sandcastles, you know, like really nothing or they go too far and it's like, you know, a 25-page essay and nobody's yeah, got time that, to read that's, it. That's so it's hard about to consume. That, yeah, it's finding that balance and, you know, um, Tash is a, a trainer of uh, Claire Warden's Talking and Thinking floor books, and a big concept there is that children are actually collaborative and part of documenting and telling their story so they you know it's about letting them contribute to that and so again it doesn't always look beautiful because the children cut the photos out and stick them on and they might be on crooked and they might be you know someone's got a bit of paper hanging off here but they write and they draw and they you know they contribute to that storytelling and I think that's that in itself is making more learning visible so yeah for me documentation is really important and serves a really good purpose that's just about how we do it yeah yeah so hey listeners if you if you take those seven points and you build a a program around around them you're going to have a a a fairly interesting and decent and child-centered kind of environment built i think huh i think so yeah yeah well that was fun there you go hey we didn't even i only ran into twice i think yeah. Oh well, you know what? What the hell? Let's. I'll. I'll. I'll end this with a rant. Uh, because you mentioned COVID. Um. Look, we've. Uh, oh, I set of, it off. 
Yeah, most of the world has come out of the COVID thing, people. Um, but we look. One thing I'm still waiting for happen, waiting to happen, is that uh, that the the experts, the leaders, the the deciders who decided that children needed to be masked when they didn't, um, and programs mm. needed to operate in in ways that uh, that were were detrimental to children and families and and people's uh, economic well being. None of them have been punished. All of these no. people. All of these people still have their jobs and they're gonna fuck it up again so yep. um and 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 look when you read articles about covid caused a, a late um language delays in infants and toddlers oh. and covid caused blah 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 and covid it's caused not COVID. Blah, blah, blah. it wasn't covid that caused it it was the bad choices of adult human beings who were in positions of power and should have fucking known better and, and in many cases did know better but chose to act the way they did and and impose those things on people anyway. So um, fuck them and- um, Fuck them, you just topped my rant. That was well done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, look, I try to get angry, but you know, I'm, I'm just too happy a guy to be really angry, but I, I truly am really pissed off about it. Fuck them. Uh, this has been the Child Care Bar and Grill Podcast. Back soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Pam, we made it through that episode without talking about poop. You like that? <laughs>